Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone to the Fanalytics podcast. I'm Mike Lewis. Today I'm joined by Ada Chong and a special guest, Al Multani Kahal. How'd I do on that? I, I, don't, I don't know with the hyphen. I don't know if I need to put a full break or not. Yeah, my, my mom's Multani. My dad's Kohal, but, but okay. that's a good effort. Okay. <laughs> Today, we are doing a deeper dive into the world of mascots and team names. And so I've asked Al to join us because we've recently had a, look, it's the highlight of, uh, I'm currently teaching a course on sports analytics, and Al and his group have brought me nothing but joy. Every year when I do this class, I give an assignment and it's essentially it's a marketing assignment where I am asking students to choose a sports brand, uh, identify one that they think needs fixing, right? and I'm making this simple, and then go out and propose a solution to this potential branding problem. The history of this assignment is there's been a lot of emphasis on brands, team names like the Washington Redskins, or the Cleveland Indians that have just been lightning rods um, for for controversy and for trouble. So, Al, what was your perception of the assignment just going into it? We're looking at professional teams, North American professional teams for the most part, was how I think we looked at our scope. And it really started with just a a brainstorming session of teams that we thought, you know, could use a rebrand because there wasn't brand equity as we perceived it um, from our initial research. Explain to the folks what you mean by brand equity? We looked at it sort of in two ways. One, in, in the same vein as you would potentially look at the Redskins and the Cleveland Indians, particularly Chief Wahoo. Was there something that was offensive or could be perceived to be offensive? And two, and this is a softer metric perhaps, but mm-hmm. was there a disconnect between how a particular mascot, logo, brand resonated with its origin story? So you know, the Washington Capitals, right? Being in the nation's capital, it makes sense um, that there's okay. a reference to that. And so we looked at we looked at teams that had moved, geographies in large part. Um, we looked at teams that, that didn't seem connected to uh, the market that they were in. Okay. And, and what you're saying there, I think, makes a lot of sense to me, especially, you know, it's hard to think about this assignment without going immediately to the Washington Redskins, the Cleveland Indians, um, college sports with a lot of the Native American mascots right. that have been discontinued over the years. And then to arrive at that that word of, you know, offensive or perceived to be offensive, rather than, let's say, sort of more general, like, you know, it's a brand, like, we get beyond sports, there's a lot of brands that might have problems here and there, right? Sort of relatively weak brands. Right? Sure. Okay. So you guys chose, well, what did you guys choose? So we, we ended up with the, the Nashville Predators. And, and again, I think, as, as you have pointed out in class and, and continue to point out, I think context is really important. Our logic behind the Predators was that, you know, we think of Nashville as the music city. And where was that sort of allusion to the music city? We were, a lot of our logic was, you know, can we, can we find some sort of allusion to that? We did like the mascot. And what we found in our research was well, that... Well, what, uh, what is the mascot, just to close the circle for those listening? The mascot is, is actually based on a Smilodon fossil. So this is old fossilized cat that was actually found in Nashville. And it, it was a predatory cat <laughs> from, from which the name uh, Predators arises. So because the mascot itself was, wasn't in, intrinsically problematic, um, we thought that we would stick with that 
we tried to find ways to work in the music history. Yeah, I'm not, I don't want to cut you off here, but you know that that word is sort of an interesting one. It's an interesting word for where this story is about to go, isn't yeah. it? That word problematic. And I think for a lot of folks listening that um, that word has become something that indicates almost a political kind of orientation or right. that we, we, we sort of know where we're going now. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, we, we had to make a case, right? Yeah. It, it, there are probably a half dozen mascots as, you know, as yeah. you know, that we would, we would start with before we would land on predators as, you know, as, as a leading candidate. But are, are you a hockey fan? I am. Okay. Yeah. Big Red Wings fan as, as, <laughs> as well, we'll get as, to in as, a second. As, as Twitter, as Twitter knows now. <laughs> yeah. Um, we thought of, we thought of where predator is and how that's changed the association of that word in the time since the team was founded. You know, and that, I think that goes back to ninety seven, late nineties, yeah, ninety seven, ninety eight, and they've had a lot of success since they've been in the league. So, to catch a predator was one element that that certainly played a role. You know, predatory behavior. Um, I think in part where we are societally and in, in how we view the that word and and the, and the power dynamic and the and the negative connotation around it was a lot of what drove our. Uh, our logic the specificity of it literally being a, a saber cat was where we landed in terms of the name that we wanted to come can, up with can i ask you just in terms of the process um so you guys were sitting around the table brainstorming you know this mascot this team name etc who threw out predator where that where'd that come from you know that that actually came kind of late. It was almost yeah. it was almost the last idea that got thrown out there, and that's that's the one that tends to stick, right? Okay. I mean, we were thinking about the Memphis Blues, and you know, again, sort of getting to the history of the markets that these team okay. names were in. Predator happened to be the one that stuck at okay. the very end, and that's sort of what formed the direction for the project. Okay. Well, and part of me asked because it's like when I think of um, when I think of hockey, I think it's uh, you know I think that's fair to say sort of a distant distant fourth major league at this point i truly do wonder if like you just went to the general public and asked you know what, what the name of the nashville hockey team was how many folks would actually know so it's kind of interesting to me that you guys came up with that one versus let's say some of the stuff that is just so much more high profile right yeah i think you know i think that's that's a great point i think that drives to why this ultimately took off to the degree mm-hmm. that it did you know f- hockey fans are a passionate fan base and i think that's that drives to why context is so important mm-hmm. um you know, someone saying as a fan, I want to grow up to be a predator is very different from I want to grow up to be a Nashville predator right? okay. if you're an aspiring hockey fan or a hockey player. And I really like the way you just said that because so before you guys did the thing, I would have I heard if I would have heard predator, no impact on me whatsoever. But when you just said that as someone saying I want to grow up to be a predator, boy, that did sound off. Yeah. Or I want my kid to meet the predator. Right. Like, I mean, again, context matters. Removing that single adjective, Nashville, yeah. the team name. And and I get that hockey fans, and I think that that it's, it's a fair criticism. I think if there's two criticisms of maybe the direction that we went in that I would agree with, it's that, you know, one, hockey fans don't perceive, as you pointed out, that issue necessarily. Well, and, and here's the other thing, and it's like so coming back to what this assignment is about, it's 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 fundamentally a branding assignment. Right. It just happens to be in the world of sports, and what you guys were asked to do was essentially identify somewhere where and i think for the most part people focus on where a change is needed i think and you know i don't want to put words in your mouth you identified a situation where maybe a change would be needed in the future 
that that was a big part of our presentation, which you didn't see on <laughs> on Twitter, but that, that this was sort of forward thinking. Yeah. Um, this was a proactive reaction, unlike some of the other teams that have been out there and in, in, in the news well, for their logos for a long time. And something that marketers get, and maybe sports fans aren't going to think all the way through, is that the language and the culture changes. And I think what you guys were trying to essentially do is saying, the language and the culture change, seems to be changing in this direction you know, maybe this is something on the horizon for this team that they should think about. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, I think that that was sort of reinforced by the by the research that we did do that, that again, indicated that on several metrics, the, the Nashville fan base is a great fan base in the NHL. On that particular metric, when you look at the team name and the mascot itself specifically, um, it was in the bottom half of the NHL. Well, speaking of research, I think you guys actually had some data. We had data on the word predator, right? What was that research? Yeah, I think the the connotation, we looked at how the, the connotation of the word has changed over time, and it's become increasingly more negative. And um, how did you do that? I believe one of my teammates did the research. There was some sort of, I think, website or okay. um, so some analysis, sort of, like a word analysis. Some sort of sentiment analysis. Exactly, okay. something like that, um, with just Predator in isolation. As this assignment's going on, we are live tweeting the proposals from the uh, from the various teams, and look, we had some other ones, right? We had a couple of proposals to change the name of the Oakland Raiders to the Las Vegas Bandits and the, or the Las Vegas um, Black Blackjacks. Jacks. The Oakland A's to the Oakland OGs, right? The Guardians, I believe. Guardians, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, so we put this stuff out there. And then what happened? <laughs> so I, I started class early that day. I, I took a nap. I woke up from my nap and, and looked at my phone and... Uh, business school group chats were blowing up. I didn't realize at the time that Twitter was, was blowing up. Okay. Um, See, yeah. I don't even know. What's the business school group chat? Yeah, it's, it's it's sort of an internal like group meet chat where it's just sharing information, okay. ideas, you know, things like that. And people are like, you guys are, you guys are on Twitter. The people in Nashville are really mad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ada, who did you tweet this out to when you were doing the, when you sent the first tweet? You sent it to the, you tagged the team, right? Yeah, I did. I tagged the team, but their mascot, Nash. Nash. I think he made this go viral. <laughs> a lot of people started tre- tweeting angry things. Okay, and so this spread rapidly through the NBA community. I think in the day or two days following, what we're sort of in the thousands in terms of retweets and comments, etc. It's gotten more than a thousand comments. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't um, I read some of those to you? Yeah, and and so part of the reason why I wanted to bring Al in is because Al ended up being the star of the Twitter storm. So Ada, read some of our some of the comments that are I don't want to say what they're our favorite, but that we found the most amusing. And Al, you can react to these. <laughs> <laughs> what show was it where the celebrities like read tweets about themselves? Is that on Jimmy Fallon? Yeah, I want to see it's one of those late night shows. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So one person tweeted, seriously, go eat some Tide Pods and stay away from sports. Your kind isn't welcome, especially in hockey. That's that's great. I still use the regular Tide. I, don't, I haven't moved over to the pods, so <laughs> I will be sure to pick some of those up on the way back from Kroger. Tide Pods are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I might as well change the movie franchise to the scary alien thing with bad teeth while we're at it. Mm, yeah. I never saw Predators, the movie. Well, there's a lot of different variations of it at this point, Ada. I think there's sequel upon sequel. So on some of these, um, Al, were you, um, were you surprised at some of the direction of this that this went? Because suddenly you found yourself in the middle of this kind of 
PC culture wars, right? Yeah, and and to be honest, you know, some of it, some of it, I expected. You know, I think that there's a perception of you know academia in general. Um, whether you're, uh, you know, certainly you know this as as a professor and someone who works in academia, as we saw a lot of you know liberal snowflake that kind of stuff about yeah. our sensitivity and needing to change the name. And I want to emphasize that I don't think the Predators brand is under any immediate threat. So you no, know, but, but that was interesting, like that that word pops up of snowflake, and I'm like, ah, oh, interesting. We're in the middle of this. Yeah, and and I mean, what, what kind of surprised me, and it, it's almost heartening, is that it really brought. It's it seemed to me to bring the hockey community together. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I made I made a decision I, I, that morning to roll out with my with my you know winter classic Red Wings jersey. Got the old English D on it. Um, um, well, you're gonna have to verify something for me because I remember. I think I saw some tweet that said you had a fake winter classic. <laughs> Red Wings jersey. You know what's funny? I went, I went home and I, I, I it, it got to me. I looked at the label and I was like, "No, made in Canada." I think this is legit. It's well, <laughs> and part of where we're, we're emphasizing that is the majority of the the group. It was a it was a group project. Ended up in the bottom of the picture. We had a picture of the slide, but Al was sort of at the center of that picture, and he was wearing a hockey jersey, and so he became the you became the focal point, I think, for the the Twitter critics, right? Again, I, I think it's it, it's heartening because it's bringing the hockey community together. It was it was a little bit, you know, it was a little bit upsetting to see my my fellow Red Wings fans turn oh, on me to a degree. No, you, uh, I, I've read it. You are no longer welcome I, in that fan base. It's it's. I loved going to Joe Louis Arena. I haven't been out to Little Caesars yet. I'd love to go see a game there. And I've heard every you know everything about Nashville. I hear is that it's a great atmosphere for the Predators. But you know, I think part of what I think part of what drew that much attention was you know I'm thinking about the other projects and. How much of a, to your point earlier about the, the size of these fan bases and what's top of mind with, with this particular brand, the Raiders brand or the, or the Predators brand, I think what we were maybe able to do is make a large drop in a smaller bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, just thinking about the volume of, you know, of traffic there is on, on well, Predators tr- Twitter and on Predators okay. News. And so while I'm in this realm of making people in Nashville unhappy, I mean, I, I think, you know, you're a, you're a hockey fan. If I'm going to ask you to name the, the biggest brands the most iconic brands in the nhl who are you going to come up with I, i'm guessing i can guess who's you know yeah i mean it's it's, it's to me it's always going to be the original six okay. right chicago the blackhawks rangers you know canadians leafs right bruins red right. wings red wings and I, I think whenever i've done whenever i've done research in this area the the maple the toronto team yeah it, it scores amazingly in terms of the fan base and maybe because they end up being sort of you know the team of most of Canada, but I, I don't think I would put um, you know as a sort of a casual hockey fan. I had no idea the Nashville fan base would react this way, and I think there is an important point in this, and something maybe you guys picked up on, and maybe you knew it is like, even for a relatively small market team, a team without an extensive history, is there passion here? Absolutely. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. I mean, without a doubt. I, and I think that... These people felt like you were putting them under threat, it seemed like. Yeah. I mean, Ada didn't read sort of the, some of the more violent proposals out there, but there was also stuff about they want to have a fist fight with the students. Somebody said they wanted us to be preyed on. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, but, and, and to their credit as a fan base, I mean, they turn up for those games. It, it's got a, an evangelical following in Nashville, as we, mm-hmm. as we learned this week. And again, I mean, I think that the city definitely got behind them. Um, I think the people there definitely got behind them. Well, and and look, it's a community, right? It's a community of hockey fans, and one of the things that connects them is this word predators. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it from more abstractly, right? It's like, well, what do I really care? You know, let's call it the NHL, the Nashville NHL franchise, right? But no, it's more to that, right? They are, they're predators. Yeah, they they absolutely are. <laughs> we we certainly felt that way reading some of the some of the comments. Let me let me ask you this: it's more as the professor. Any other sort of final takeaways from the assignment? I mean, I think this became really the focal point of you know what the, what the last couple of days are. But if I'm thinking back again to the good, so focal point of your Emory experience, I'm hoping. Is, yeah, is is, is is to troll people on Twitter. Um, no, put this on your resume. Yeah. You know, well, I think what I, I mean, what I learned about this specifically, and I, and I again, I extrapolate it to the NHL example. We didn't go after one of the big fish in in a sense, right? We in Nashville, smaller market. But I think I think in in just understanding how news moves through social media, mm-hmm. I, that that's probably what I learned the most about. Um, because I looked at the other projects, and you know I think there were good proposals, and I think that they were you know certainly things that people could get defensive about. Mm-hmm. But in the world of Oakland Raiders news, I think yeah. you know a proposal to change that team name when they move to Vegas is a small drop again in, in a very large bucket with what's going on with that franchise right now. I think that this somehow ended up being a much larger drop in a in a small bucket well and i I think a big part of it is you guys found yourself in this kind of nice little intersection of going after a beloved team name maybe in a small community and doing it in a way that enabled them to turn this into almost like a part of the culture world or the culture war or the political side of it it's like you you get those two things interacting and it was like off to the races yeah, I mean, it, it certainly felt that way. Yeah. I mean, it, it it didn't take much to to kind of set that that views yeah. off. Well, awesome, Al. Thanks very much for coming in and talking about this. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Thank Thanks. you. Okay, Ada, we had we had Al in to talk about um, their mascot project because I, I think it highlights a couple of things. Um, well, one, it sort of brings brings up the general issue of mascots and how important they are to folks. You know, the reaction of the people in Nashville was, um, you know, at least in terms of a professor in a class project, was really kind of spectacular. And within that reaction, the, the second point is just how absolutely passionate folks were. So what I'd like to do um, for the for the rest of it is like, you know, given the, the importance as exhibited by a little bit of a social media storm, is talk about mascots more generally and then even get into maybe the theory of why these things are important, why do these things inspire such passion, and then maybe talk a little bit about how we might go about analyzing with data the importance of mascots. Sure. So do you want to jump into the history of mascots? Yeah, where where did these things come from? So it says that they used to start with mascots because they wanted to bring luck to a team and they wanted... Um, the fans to identify and find a common identity with these mascots. They used to be animals, but now they've evolved to fictional characters, people wearing suits, um, and they went from predatory animals to... Well, when you say people in suits, I think you're talking about people dressed in, um, you know... Like an animal suit. An alligator suit or, you know... Yes. Okay. (laughs) Not the black tie suits. <laughs> Not the uh, Las Vegas gangsters is a potential name, right? I mean, you can imagine going that direction. Right. And, um, I mean, we still do have some live animals. Like, the ones that come to mind are Ugga mm-hmm. from University of Georgia um, and the Tiger from LSU. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a, it's really kind of a mix. You know, and, and it's actually kind of funny when you when you talk about animals and, you know, sort of let's change direction here for a second. It's like, you know, the Game of Thrones has been an amazingly popular cultural event for the last few years. And, and in some ways, the Starks have the dire wolf. And I think one of the other, you know, there's the, the, the boars or there's the, the lions for Castle Rock. And that's probably where these things originate, right, is some sort of symbol that folks can get behind and usually it's a symbol that is going to be kind of something ferocious something fierce and so it makes sense for them to be animals i mean the animals that you see are what kind of animals they're like aggressive yeah predatory animals for the most part yeah bringing it back to our conversation with al right i mean for the most part it's it's wild cats it's lions it's alligators yeah, it's something to symbolize that, hey, I'm here to strike fear. I want to beat your team. Yeah, we're going to be more ferocious. We're going to be stronger than you. You know, I mean, I think of some of the, um, you mentioned some of the collegiate mascots. And, you know, I think like, you know, Penn State, Nittany Lions, uh, the Princeton Tigers. You know, you, you see that stuff a lot. And it's this idea of, I think, ferocity, right? We are, a, you know, because what, what is an athletic competition? For the most part, it's... It's probably something that appeals to our primal natures. It's a physical confrontation. You know, people are animals, uh, you know, on some level, and we compete with each other on a physical level. And so those animals is something that we, you know, symbolize our approach, our, our ferociousness, our strength, etc. Right. I mean, it's really ra- rare to see a more timid animal. Like, you don't hear about the squirrels or no. something like that. Well, and, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, when when we talk about the history of mascots, there there is quite a variety. And I think you're right that things have changed from some of the basics to some of the stuff that's a little bit, let's say, a little bit stranger. And, and you know, I, I, one of the things I think we should note in this is this issue of mascots and the issue of team names sometimes becomes really closely connected, right? And you know, it doesn't always end up being that way. But for the most part, you know, the team name ends up being the thing that drives what the mascot's going to be. Do you know the mascot for Stanford? No. Okay, so Stanford was, back in time, was the Stanford Indians. Mm -hmm. Now that's been gone for a long time, and they they replaced the team name Indians with Cardinal. Okay, It's not a bird, though, it's a color. And and again, you know, it's like, you, you almost see like the... The cleverness or the goal of some sort of cleverness in the team name. We're, we're not, you know, we're not a bird. We're a color. The Stanford mascot is actually the Stanford tree. So it's a guy in a, or it's a woman or a man in a sort of a very linear looking tree. I mean, it's, and so it's very kind of this, almost like this move towards tongue in cheek mascots as well. Um, and I think there's one of the California schools is the banana slugs. I guess we can say we're a PG. Uh, well, well, let's be a PG podcast for a moment. Uh, I remember the the Rhode Island School of Design. You know this one, RISD. You ever heard of RISD? No. RISD let their students vote, and I think they came up with something with the name of something like Scrody McScrotums, <laughs> or Scrody. I, I think you know it, it, and it really is just. It, it, you can almost picture what it is, and so mascots have started to move into all sort of different directions from sort of the maybe the fundamental stuff of kind of the fierce animal or some sort of fierce warrior, you know, the the, the standard to lead us into battle to some of this tongue-in-cheek stuff. Um, I, I grew up in the Midwest, and there's also this history of 
you know, people tend to love these things where stuff that really comes from the local, the local economy or sort of the local the features of the local, just the locality. The, I think there's the two topless corn jerkers. I haven't heard of that either. Okay. So Ada's a, Ada's a city girl, as am I. But, you know, basically, I think it has something to do with detasseling corn in the summer. So, so I, I tend to get these a couple of shoes. I think it's the two topless wooden shoes of all things. And then it's the uh, Mattoon, and again, I'm probably getting some of this wrong, corn jerkers. So, you know, you've got a variety of options from stuff that kind of fits what people do locally in terms of, you know, what they do. They make shoes, they, they you know, harvest corn, uh, the fierce animal mascots, all the way to some of the more tongue-in-cheek stuff. Hmm. No, that's interesting. I mean, a lot of teams that want to have a connection with the, their own city they do these mascots but do you think they're the fans there are supportive of it like what, what you were saying about the wooden shoes well I, I think people tend to love the more unique mascots and, and again this is where with the lines blur mascots slash team name there's only you know the the, the mattoon or whatever it is the, the jerkers that's the only one out there the wooden shoes that's the only one out there so uniqueness i think is an important part of this it's like if you you know th- these mascots if these are a symbol that someone's going to follow into combat or into sports, you know, it's a symbol that a community is built around. It's something for people to follow. So the more impressive or the more unique of the symbol, these are the things that are going to actually probably, they're probably going to matter. They're the things that are going to kind of make these things more appealing. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Do you want to talk about some of the popular brands out there? You're getting just a little bit ahead of us. So when we talk about mascots and we talk about teams, I think, you know, very quickly we should realize that this is kind of marketing stuff, okay? And and so a team name, is that different from a brand name? And, you know, maybe a different way to put that is our athletic teams, our athletic programs, brands. Are the Dallas Cowboys a brand? I think absolutely people would say, right? You know, the well-known logo, um, the, the cheerleaders, um, our college football programs brands. You know, absolutely. You know, you mentioned you mentioned UGA and UGA. It's like, yeah, that this well-known bulldog is definitely part of the brand. And so in parallel with, you know, some of these, um, and maybe actually even a little bit before some of the athletic brands, you know, we've had examples of, say marketing mascots as well okay so let's dive into some of those popular famous brand mascot designs of all time so mickey mouse this is one that i think majority of the people would recognize you think of walt disney automatically like happiness kids going on rides the disney shows what do you think of when you see mickey mouse and again i think there's a continuum from you know brand names to mascots Mickey Mouse is probably, and I think when people think of, when people think of Disney, Mickey Mouse might be one of the very first things they think of. I'm almost guessing it's a be a top of mind kind of issue, right? And so it's, it's something that symbolizes the vast majority of, that that symbolizes that company for the vast majority of folks. It's kind of an interesting thing. I think historically, you know, Mickey Mouse was the headliner of the cartoons that Disney would produce. And I think every so often they've come up with a new version of it. Um, You know, oh, suddenly there's sort of baby Mickey Mouse or, you know, versus if you go way back in time, you know, the Mickey Mouse and these black and white cartoons where they're, 
on a steamboat. So, I mean, there's been all sorts of stuff. So he's been kind of continually the representative. But I wouldn't be surprised if, like, a lot of kids these days actually don't even think of Mickey Mouse from the cartoons. They just know Mickey is the representative of Disney. I mean, you know, we look at the guy. He's a happy guy, you know, big eyes, big ears. There's um, big shoes, big hands. I mean, there's a, it, it's a distinctive look. I mean, even you just see that uh, they, we're, we're looking at a picture. You, you take away the, the, the detail and you just have the, the silhouette and everyone knows who that is. So it's, it's, a, it's a great symbol um, that people associate with Disney. Yeah, what's cool about these brands is that it brings out an emotion out of you. I feel like when I see Mickey Mouse, it kind of sparks this like warm, fuzzy, like, oh, my childhood. I had such a good childhood going to Disney. You know, it's just that's what it's supposed to do. And I think that's that's an interesting way to put it. And that's exactly what the brand folks would want to have happen. So in a psychological terms, you, you said that in sort of real people terms, you know, for the marketer out there and the one specifically concerned with consumer psychology, when you see Mickey Mouse, you have the, you know, you access a bunch of associations. And so Mickey Mouse now triggers memories of a, you know, childhood vacation to Disney World. It triggers thoughts about, you know, the growing up with the Animaniacs or whatever the Disney cartoon version was in the 90s or the early 2000s. Again, these kind of positive feelings. So you see that symbol, you see that mascot. And again, this is going to be true for the teams as well. The hope is is that it triggers those associations and hopefully those positive associations. And now you see Mickey Mouse, you're thinking about all things Disney. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a symbol that triggers something that gets you in the right kind of frame of mind, or at least the frame of mind that the marketer is looking for. Yeah, absolutely. I think another good one that probably triggers happiness is Tony the Tiger from Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. I think a lot of kids, when they see Tony the Tiger, they want the cereal because they're just excited that he's on the box. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Tony the Tiger is a great one. It's um it's a little different than Mickey Mouse, right? So it's a mascot for the cereal company for that cereal brand. I say it's a little bit different because I think, you know, Mickey Mouse the origin is I mean, it's gonna sound strange to say for a cartoon character, but as a performer, as part of the content they were putting out there, where Tony the Tiger, as far as I know, has always been, you know, just associated with the product in terms of basically a, an animated commercial spokesperson. It's also, you know, as I grew up in the 70s, I, I think we tended to see these animal or sort of cartoon spokespeople with a lot of different brands. So when you say Tony the Tiger, that makes me think of Charlie the Tuna for Starkist Tuna or uh, Morris the Cat for one of the pet food brands or maybe even Mr. Whiffle for who was a real person but for Charmin bathroom tissue. Mm-hmm. And so you know, in, in the seventies and a lot of marketing really did focus on like this notion of this mascot and every ad tended to feature some character. All right, let's switch gears here and go to the video game world. What do you think about Mario from Nintendo? He's kind of, I think he's, he's a classic. When I see him in Luigi, I just <laughs> think of the nineties okay. and playing video games with my cousins as a kid. These characters um, cause you to 
access a bunch of things associated with the the product, right? So a lot of this kind of childhood stuff. I, the last two that you you mentioned, and the Tony the Tiger and Mario, are, are interesting to me on some level. And the, they they actually almost look like they could be mascots for athletic teams, right? You know, Tony the the Tiger. We see all sorts of tigers in terms of mm-hmm. the world of sports. The Detroit Tigers, the uh, LSU Tigers. You know, we, we very common kind of thing. Mario has that kind of working man kind of look to him as well. I mean, he's he's a plumber, right? And I don't think there's a team called the Plumbers, but there is a team called the Packers. There's a team called the Steelers. There's a team called the Cowboys. So, you know, the, this idea of a blue-collar sort of working man, again, it's, it's kind of a physically tough, physically capable symbol as something to sort of you know highlight or and I'll, I'll introduce a word that we'll talk a little bit about in a second is to personify a, a brand and so you know the, all those you know frankly I mean I don't know that you would name a team after a mouse but you know these marketing brands play much the same role for a consumer product as these mascots may for an athletic team it's a good place to start in terms of thinking about mascots in a more general sense getting beyond sports to think about branding because i think that's fundamentally what they are just Mm -hmm. in a different context yeah i mean those were just some popular brands that we just mentioned but here are some not so popular (laughs) mascots that have caused some controversy you know some of the native american mascots for example they've caused some controversy okay and so you know over the last few years one of the things that I've found myself talking to the media quite a bit about our Native American or Indian mascots or team names, as it were. And then again, not to be too repetitive, but there is definitely this kind of blurring when we think about these team brands, a bunch of, you know, team names, the symbols associated with it, all this stuff tends to come together, Uh, the person in the costume on the field. I think the two big ones are the... um, well, the Washington Redskins and the, the Cleveland Indians tend to be the ones that are the lightning rods for most of the controversy. I, you know, I went to a college, University of Illinois, that dropped an Indian uh, Native American symbol. You know, the, and, and so this stuff comes up quite a bit, or at least it did while a lot of this stuff was sort of being replaced. But those are the two, those are the two significant ones. So you got some notes on the Cleveland Indians, though, I see. Yeah, so they started out with Chief Wahoo as their first logo, and then they've transitioned into the block C, the letter C. Well, and that's a, that's a recent decision, right? Yeah, they, had, they phased it out. I think they only had the block C on certain parts of their uniforms, but this upcoming season, it's going to be fully phased mm-hmm. out. And so it was really just the last couple of seasons that, you know, after taking a lot of heat in the media and a lot of complaints, that they removed Chief Wahoo. And I, and I think that you're right that they've gradually pulled it down. And, and so, you know, like it, it became a secondary logo. It was the primary logo, became a secondary logo, and now is basically gone, I believe, right? Yeah. Do you think the Redskins would follow suit? You know, th- this is the interesting thing. And so, like I said, I, I think the two teams that take the most heat are the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Indians. The Indians, the main complaint was the nature of the Chief Wahoo logo. So very much kind of a caricature, sort of a jokey looking uh, figure. I think some folks might say sort of looks almost like a, a drunk character. 
you know, in contrast to the Indian, the, the Redskins logo is almost dignified in appearance. I mean, it's the, you know, it's a profile version. There's nothing, there's nothing jokey. There's nothing really cartoony about it. So the, the Redskins, you know, the issue with that one is just found in the basic name, right? I mean, so it, Redskins has been viewed or for a long time as, as essentially an ethnic slur. Mm-hmm. And so you've got multiple issues, but slightly different issues for each of the team. You know, even the, the term Cleveland Indians, the, the word Indians has gone out of style, replaced by Native American. Uh, the Redskins, you've got a term that is basically viewed as a slur. The Indians logo in terms of the artwork was viewed as offensive. So there's a bunch of different things going on. I think the Redskins end up taking even more heat than the, the Indians simply because the, you know, as and I think one of the things we always have to remember about this stuff is that the culture evolves. And I don't think it's fair. And I think it's probably reasonable to think that when these teams are named originally there's probably absolutely no intent on being offensive right because it it doesn't even make sense it's Mm -hmm. like why would i name my team something offensive you know so when these teams were named they were probably come from the like well we, we talked about it right so almost probably viewed as an honor of the ferocity the fierceness of the indian or the native american warriors now, over time, you know, the cultural standards change. You know, in the case of the, the Cleveland Indians, you know, maybe they've ins- they inserted the logo at some point. I mean, like, it's a very cartoony logo. And so maybe it was like at some point someone had the bright idea of, well, let's have this goofy-looking logo that will appeal more to kids. Right. Many years later, it's like, well, this is just offensive, cartoony-looking thing. In the case of the Redskins, when that was originally named, maybe that was essentially look at these, we are these fierce these fierce, fierce warriors. But over time, you know, the word Redskins have become really a problem in terms of how people, in terms of how people interpret that name. I think I read somewhere that the owner did not want the name to be ever changed too. So it doesn't seem like they would follow suit with the Cleveland Indians and changing their mascots. Well, look, I mean, so, you know, if one of the issues here is you have a mascot or a team name that's a bunch of a, that is viewed as a problem. What do you do about it? Mm-hmm. Cleveland has taken maybe we say half steps, so you get rid of some of the imagery, but you also keep the term Indians. I would guess that that is still viewed as offensive by a lot of folks. You know that your team name is named after a race of people, and it's sort of it's a name that is sort of inappropriately or incorrectly applied you know the, the the whole idea that you know columbus thought he was in india and so they started calling the native americans indians so that, you know that that's going to be a potential problem so it's like has cleveland solved their problem i kind of doubt it so they've taken a half step in the case of the the redskins you know the the ownership there has definitely dug in its heels one of the things that we'll do um, when we post this podcast uh, this episode is we'll include a link. I actually did some research a few years ago and wrote a wrote an editorial that was in the New York. We'll include a link to to that piece that sort of talks about the business case. But you know, for a marketer, one of the last things that a marketer ever wants to do is change a brand name. Mm-hmm. You know, it's everyone knows the Washington Redskins, right? So you've invested a lot in building up that brand last thing a lot of folks want to do is throw away that equity, that investment in those brands. But if it's making people upset, you don't, you still don't think it's worth changing? Well, I think that's the calculus that these guys have to do. 
So if you get to start over, you know, there's some costs associated with that. I think there's also some opportunities associated with that. The, so the Redskins, potentially, they could, they could rename the team. Um, this is, uh, again, how do, you, how do you want to look at this? As a cost? Oh, we're starting from scratch. No one will know what our team is. All the merchandise that people have out there suddenly almost becomes, well, I don't know, maybe it becomes a collector's item. Maybe it becomes worthless. You know, so this, this idea of starting over, coming up with something new is a bit of a problem. But again, you know, there's also an opportunity in all this. Can we do something? Can we do something different? Something better? Yeah, and to your point earlier, what you were saying about the Indians making a half step, I think that's the only way you can do it is in phases. Because if you were to completely rebrand them in one step, I think that would be too much for the fans. So you have to do things in phases so that they can be comfortable with it one step at a time. Well, and I think there's, you know, any team is going to have a bunch of different fans, right? And especially fans differ in terms of, well, age might be the the key characteristic. So someone that is, and I think very often people go, oh, you know, those older fans, they're just tied to this past world and, you know, they should move on. Well, let's think about it. It's like, so if someone's 70 years old and they grew up in Cleveland, maybe they've been rooting for this team for 75 plus years. Okay. And, and so the Cleveland Indians, you know, you talked about your childhood association, your associations with some of these brands. Now they've got 75 years of associations mm-hmm. versus let's say someone that's a, you know, a college student that is lived in, lived in Cleveland for just a, a couple of years. And those associations are much less intense. So I, I think, you know, when we think about doing this kind of process of maybe moving around from it, I, I think you probably make a good point that it's probably best to, well, it's, it's best to think about the entire portfolio of fans and make moves that make sense to maintain maintain your equity with, let's say, the older fans while maybe modernizing and updating for newer fans. Mm-hmm. Well, tying all of this together, why do mascots matter? You know, when I think there, there's a bunch of different ways to think about mascots. We could think about these from a um, sociological point of view in terms of this is a symbol for some type of community, a community that's uh, interested in rooting for a team. I'll think of it in, you know, really one specific, we could think of it as a psychological uh, in a psychological way in terms of, you know, what does that mascot mean? We mentioned some of that, right? This idea that a mascot triggers associations. I'll start from saying that one way to look at it is in terms of brand consumer relationships. And that's a that's a funny way to think about marketing, I think, for a lot of people. I mean, you know, I, I'm coming at this, we're coming at this from inside a business school. So if I say, do, do you have a relationship with a brand? Very few people in this building are going to object to that. Mm-hmm. If I go outside of this building and I say, do you have relationships with brands? People might look at, them, look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> Ada, do you have a relationship with Coca-Cola? <laughs> of course. Okay, of course. <laughs> of, well, of, of star- with Starbucks? With, <laughs> with Honda? Yeah. I, I mean, it, but it's a, it's a funny thing. And some people might resist that notion. It's like, no, I don't have relationships with brands. I have relationships with people. But for the marketer, you know, that's kind of the gold standard. That's what they want to achieve, right? They want to have you view them as something that's important to their life. Okay? And you trust them, yeah. That's a good word for it. That They trust them and they sort of, they're interested in them. They know something about it. And so, you know, if you think about a continuum from 
let's say a commodity product all the way to you know maybe the person is closest to you there there's a difference right one is an object one is a person that you have a relationship with but for the marketer you know maybe the goal is to continually move towards having more of a relationship if you think of an example of what's the most commodity oriented product salt do you have a relationship with your brand of salt maybe no. not salt but i mean i'm i'm just trying to think like if i was in a place i wasn't familiar with and i really wanted coffee and there was starbucks and another brand okay. i'm going to go with starbucks because i i just know what product they're going to deliver i okay. trust their so so let's, let's say there's a continuum with salt we don't care okay so should we have a you know invest in a brand related to a mascot related to salt and there there is one right the morden uh, i think morden has something on their salt canisters Going up to Starbucks, where maybe McDonald's is one of the brands that people focus on a lot in terms of, well, there's a guarantee of quality. Mm-hmm. McDonald's has a well-known mascot, right? Ronald McDonald. R- Ronald McDonald. Back in the 70s, they had all sorts of ones, the Hamburglar, uh, Grimace for the shakes. So they've, they've definitely been involved in this space. But as you continue to progress up, maybe there are other brands that become even more closely associated with your life, your lifestyle, right? And so... Are there, you know, as a marketer really wants to get as close to you as possible and close to you as possible in terms of forming that relationship. One of the things that folks will talk about is this idea of personification. Okay. And so, again, if we have the continuum from an object to people, if we want to move more towards like a relationship with another person, then does it make sense to try and create some sort of personification in terms of our brand? Yeah. And so... Earlier, we mentioned some of these brands in the 70s of, uh, you know, Morris the Cat, Mr. Whipple. What was the, what's the one for the Frosted Flakes? Tony the Tiger. Tony the Tiger. Snap, Crackle, and Pop for Rice Krispies, right? These are efforts to take a brand and turn it into a person, essentially. So a personification of a brand. And so if you are thinking about that, that product, you quickly then start to think about that character. Yeah. Okay. I would say so. Okay. So now once you've got that character in your mind, is it easier to have a relationship with Tony the Tiger or with a cornflake? Tony the Tiger for sure. Right. Tony the Tiger's got a big personality. Mm-hmm. We, and it's a well-defined personality, right? Big, happy, enthusiastic guy. What's the, what's the slogan? They're great. Great, right? <laughs> He's a good dude, right? We, we, we love Tony. And, and so I think that's... Probably the way, you know, as a marketer, we want to think about mascots slash team names, right? That this is the this is the personification of the brand. I mean, when we think about teams, there's a lot, potentially a lot of different brand elements. You know, it's the team name, it's the mascot, it's the color scheme, it's the logos. But the mascot is that focal personification. And it, interestingly enough, it really it doesn't even really have to be a person, right? Because we talked about animals as well. But it's that entity for us to have the relationship with. I feel like there's so much psychology behind this. You know what? I I like the way you said that. Is there psychology behind this in terms of how this stuff is implemented? I don't think so. Is there psychology behind this in terms of understanding what's happening? Absolutely. I mean, so I think very often, um, you know, look, you don't have to have a degree in psychology to be a marketer. Right. You just have to understand people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if I'm going to understand people, I just have to like live in the real world and know how people function. 
it's the marketers, the academic psychologists that then sort of going, looking at reality and saying, hey, why does this work? Yeah. Okay. Super interesting. The psychologist is really just trying to understand reality, right? So, you know, you're the person, the marketer or the team that's uh, coming up with a an offering and a mascot as part of that that's going to appeal to fans, okay? The psychologists or the academic would say, well, why does this work? Now, I think it kind of ends up going both ways because, you know, after after we sort of decompose what happens on an intellectual or a theoretical basis, then maybe next time you're coming up with a mascot, if you're the Redskin or the Washington NFL franchise or the Cleveland MLB franchise, you can use or think through these issues in terms of how people process information, how people think to come up with the right approach. So, you know, there, there's real-world applica- applicability in that way in terms of thinking of this theoretical perspective. The other thing that, which we'll provide a link to on the article, on the on the website, and the website is uh, scholarblogs.emory.edu backslash ESMA. What we're going to do uh, as a little bit of an aside with the podcast is as we've moved to sort of mo- these, let's say, bigger episodes, is we're going to link to some supplementary materials and articles on the website. So these things are going to sort of move together, right? So the, there'll be an article that talks a lot about what we're doing today, but also adds something to it. One of the things I've done over time, and I mentioned a little bit of this earlier with the reference to this New York Times op-ed about the Washington Redskins, is I've done some research related to mascots. And so, you know, our, our founding principle you know, the, it's, it's in our name, right? The Fanalytics podcast is this importance of analytics. And so the thing I want to leave us with is, um, well, how do we go about analyzing how mascots work from a, from a quantitative or a statistical standpoint? A lot of our discussion is just almost like sort of based on logic or what feels right or what feels like it's going to be a problem. So how do we actually dig into the data? This is a tough topic. It's a tough topic because there's not a lot of, let's say, natural experiments out there in the world. So a lot of the research I've done here has focused at the college level. The college level has some benefits in that, well, there's a a lot of data availability on program profitability and program revenues because the Department of Education requires schools to report these data. The college world also has several examples of teams changing their team name. Okay, and this is this is what's important. So if we're going to analyze something and we want to understand the relationship between, and let's say in a general from a general perspective of if someone takes action X, what happens on some outcome Y? Okay? So cause and effect. So the college realm, the college context is almost set up where we can do a little bit of that kind of work. So I mentioned the University of Illinois dropped their uh, chief Illiniwick character or symbol. We can look at what happens to the University of Illinois' revenues before and after. Mm-hmm. Now, it's it's not entirely straightforward. we got to do some things like we got to control for how well the team played before and after. Um, but we've got a number of examples of college teams that have made those changes. We also referenced that Stanford has made change, made a change. Uh, Marquette changed from an Indian-themed mascot or team name. Uh, Syracuse. So there's been a bunch of those. So there is some variation. Now I'll say this as, a, as an academic. This is like one of those topics which is actually kind of difficult and probably something you can't get published in an academic journal just because there isn't enough variation. 
I mean, it's a little bit of a side issue, but kind of a soapbox issue. There's a lot of interesting issues in the world that you can't study perfectly. And one of the problems that academics have gotten themselves into over years is that if the data isn't perfect, you probably can't get it through the journals. Mm -hmm. And so this is a, to me, this is really an interesting topic because it's something that is actually really important to people. It might be scoffed at by a lot of folks of, oh, God, you're talking about mascots. But it does have sort of an interesting theoretical backstory, right, in terms of, well, these are brand names. These are, uh, you know, brand symbols. Uh, these are things that people care so much about. And we learned that from our discussion with Al, right? You could uh, you could probably change the name of your soft drink, Ada, right? But can I change the name of your team? Ooh. <laughs> right, people, just, people just light up with that stuff. So that's that's sort of the big challenge. Now, the other thing, and, and again, sort of that that's, the world of college is actually easier to work with at the professional level we don't have we hardly have any variation at all right and so you mentioned we, we talked a little bit about the redskins one of the challenges is in one of the reluctances of you know schneider to change the team name is well what's going to happen what are the consequences and you know largely you're asking people to make those decisions in a fairly blind fashion right there's no database where they could say, oh, well, these 20 teams made a change and they didn't lose any money or they lost 5%. So it's hard for teams to make that that calculation and say, well, is it worth it to do it or not? Yeah. So we just have to figure out, I guess, what's going to drive them. I mean, what drove the Indians? I, I think it's a matter of, you know, this, this is one of those things where maybe, and actually this is a good point. It's, it's a lesson that we should always, as an analyst, as in someone interested in analytics, always come back to, is that very often when, when we're making a decision or when someone's making a decision, the role of analytics is a support function. So let's say we're in this realm of mascots. I can look at some things. I can look at, let's say, the college space and say, oh, well, it doesn't appear that there's huge long-term consequences from making a change but all i can do is say hey you know to the to the cleveland indians or to the washington redskins is what evidence i have suggests that it's not a problem to make a change but and that's kind of the key word in this but the data is limited in scope right it's really just a few college teams that have made changes and it's not even in the professional league right and so it's it's this understanding that you know a lot of times analytics supports rather than drives decisions i like what you said there i think we'll end this episode here and you know it's just as a real quick summary of what what we've tried to do and this is the professor in me ada so you know you cut me off wink at me if this gets too boring too pedantic is highlighting an issue an issue that is important in the world of sports and potentially beyond the world of sports and so we we started with this discussion of like a social media storm of the idea of like let's rename the nashville predators and then started to work backwards from there to you know thinking about the history of these mascots and how how these have really become a feature of sports and of modern marketing and then taking another step back and thinking about the psychological or sort of the branding foundations for why these things exist you know my, my hope is that this gives people 
you know, both informs and gives them some foundation or some infrastructure for thinking about how to work with these in, in terms of marketing or even thinking about these in terms of society. And I, I, I use that word intentionally, right? I mean, so if you're a marketer, you want to think about how these play into your branding efforts. If you're society, and in particular with these Native American mascot controversies, you want to think about you know, how the various stakeholders out there, how the various fans and, and different groups out there are thinking about these things. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a small issue, mascots, but it's actually something that is important to a lot of people and inspires a lot of passion. And we knew that because of Twitter. Okay. <laughs> Twitter reveals, you know, Twitter does have some value, right? It's, it's kind of like a way to take the, uh, take the temperature of the audience out there. And I'm not talking about our audience, it's sort of the, the, the culture at large. Yeah. Okay, okay so folks, we'll, we'll wrap it up at this point. So uh, again, you know, please check out the blog at uh, scholarblogs.emory.edu backslash ESMA for some supplemental and sort of even uh, content that goes beyond what we talked about, it says, especially some of the research related to mascots I think you guys find really interesting. So as, as I mentioned last time, uh, one of the things we're doing with these episodes is we're, we're trying to do a little bit of a deeper dive. And so we're moving from a schedule of trying to do one every two weeks to about one a month that goes into a little bit more depth and we produce a little bit more associated content that you can, guys can find on the, on the website. So until next time, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Ada. You're welcome. <laughs>